Production support comes from Closets 2, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home, office, and garage using a variety of systems with no major renovations. Closets 2, owned and operated in Bloomington, 332-2233. Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, phone, and security services. Smithville. Local Pride, Global Technology. Information at smithville.net. Mother Bear's Pizza of Bloomington, open daily and offering gourmet pizzas, hot submarine sandwiches, and salads with daily specials. Menu available online at motherbearspizza.com. 332-4495 for delivery. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. And today we're going to talk about uh, issues in the area of maternity care. With us, uh, with us in the studio, we have two guests today, Bloomington Area Birth Services Executive Director Georgian Cantalano and Bloomington Hospital Regional Center for Women and Children Executive Director Dana Waters. If you'd like to join us on the program, please call us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. You can go to the website, wfiu.org slash noon edition and uh, email us from there or you can follow us on Twitter at noon edition. So you have tons of ways to follow the show today. But uh, welcome, Georgianne. Welcome back. Oh, thank you very and, much. And Dana, thanks thank for you. being here. Thanks for having me. And Mary Catherine. Hi, Bob. Mary Catherine, has, uh, she has lots of insights into this. I bet issue. you're glad I'm here today, aren't I you? I am. Yeah. <laughs> you have more insights into maternity care than I do. But our guests would carry the show, I'm sure. I'm sure they would. Well, the, the topic as uh, advertised is transparency in maternity care. So, um, Dana, could you start out by talking about what what's the issue with transparency? Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. To divide... Transparency in maternity care. The transparency piece is when we're able to publish and let people know the outcomes that we have within the healthcare system. For instance, the cesarean section rates, vaginal birth rates, episiotomy rates, different rates, and we compare the statistics from hospital to hospital and presumably at some point from state to state to have benchmarks. Mm-hmm. All right. And Georgiana, is, is there not mm-hmm. enough transparency in Indiana or? Well, I think um, based on our experience and <clears throat> the phone calls that we get, I think women do have difficulty in finding out who is a good caregiver, who matches what they're, what they're looking for, what their needs are, um, the kinds of things that are important to them. Um, this is, in fact, I think common around the country. I don't think it's unique to Indiana. I think most women in most places have difficulty finding this kind of information, which is part of why – the Coalition for Improving Maternity Services started the Transparency <clears throat> in Maternity Care Project. So you can't just call a hospital and say, what's your cesarean rate? Well, I mean, it's possible it, you could if you knew the right person to call. But the fact that um, most people don't even realize they could make that phone call or that they could find that information out, that most people don't even really take that into consideration when they're choosing a caregiver. I mean, I think it's interesting to me, and I, I think Dana's been in um, you know, labor and delivery and postpartum care and so on long enough that she too would say that, you know, it's interesting how little research people often do before mm-hmm. they make what's possibly one of the most important decisions of their lives. So people, you know, there's a consumer reports for choosing your stereo or your, you know, your car. But in terms of really assessing your health care provider at like probably the most, uh, one of the most adult things you'll ever do in your life, the most transformative moment in your life, you're starting a family, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's not available and it's not part of the cultural conversation. And any reason – why would you think that is? Is it because uh, people are so excited about just what's coming up and then they, they put their trust into the medical care system? What? Well, I, the research shows that most women talk to other women to mm-hmm. choose health care and that is a good resource. For them to talk and find out the experience other people have had with different healthcare providers. So that is – they do do some research in that way. We've just never really had the opportunity for them to be able to compare some of the data. Mm-hmm. And so – and right now we do have an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 2007, the C- CDC uh, surveyed hospitals on the best maternity practices in infant nutrition. And we were excited. Mm-hmm. You know, CDC, reputable. 
Um, we feel like we do a, a, a stellar job at Bloomington Hospital in providing this service to our patients. And so they did come back and give us our hospital report. They d- did not publish hospitals or even um, particular by, by um, areas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I, we have a lot of opportunity here. Yeah, it seems to me that We're uh, close. Yeah, giving you the information is one thing, but having somebody be able to put it into context is right. yes. a whole mm-hmm. different ballgame. Right. Sure. Mm-hmm. right. Let me share something with you. Um, in uh, Let's see if I've got the date here. Two th- I need new glasses. 2006, <laughs> um, the uh, Childbirth Connection, which is one of the oldest maternity information organizations in the United States. I think they started like in 1908 as the... Um, uh, heck, I don't remember the name. Um, but their current name is Childbirth Connection. They did what was called the Listening to mother survey in which they actually asked women to report on their birth experiences and their postpartum experiences. So they found that how women choose their providers, that 47% of the women they surveyed, and I can probably get you the total number here, uh, it was a base of 903 women. And women chose had the option of choosing the three most important reasons. 47% said provider participated in my insurance plan. Mm-hmm. Then past experience with this provider or group was next at 42%. And friend or family member recommendation was at 26%. And then it goes down to like office location at, mm-hmm. and so forth. And I mean I think um, savvy women mm-hmm. talk to their friends and that uh, women who may not have a community or maybe they're the first in their social group to have a baby, they don't have anyone to ask or they're far enough away from family members that the information they give wouldn't really be useful. I mean, insurance plays a big part. I mean, there are a lot of factors that have nothing to do with, you know, kind of what's going to happen once you're actually in labor that goes into how you choose the person. And and if they're transient, and Bloomington does have a transient Mm -hmm. population, so they may not have, and what they're looking at are web pages Mm -hmm. uh, and any data that they can get from states away. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Our phone numbers are 855-0811-877-285-9348. You can uh, go to the website, wfiu.org slash Noon Edition, and you can follow this show on Twitter at Noon Edition. We're uh, talking with – a couple of women who are very knowledgeable about maternity services and, and maternity care. So uh, if you want to talk to Georgianne Catalona or Dana Waters, you can please uh, give us a call or send us an email. So, you know, we talk a lot about cesarean rates um, mm-hmm. and, and a high rate of cesareans is looked at negatively. But why is that? If, a, if, the, if you're in labor and things mm-hmm. aren't going well sure. and, and mm-hmm. it seems like that's the best thing to do both for a mother and baby, why is that frowned upon? Well, I think um, – there, it's a complicated issue in some ways and very simple in other ways. Let's start with the World Health Organization. The World Health Organization has said that a 15% cesarean rate is optimal, that that's kind of the tipping point, that if you are uh, too far below that, then as would be the case, say, in a developing country, say, in some African countries. Uh, those of you that read the New York Times, Nicholas Kristof just recently did an article about this. I cannot remember which country he was in, but it, he was sort of saying – pointing out how these women, they needed more cesareans. They needed more access to more medicalized care. Mm-hmm. So you, when it gets too low, it can actually reflect not sufficient access to resources or qualified care providers. When it begins to go over 15%, then you're getting into the tipping point where um, the risks of the procedure begin to outweigh the benefits to the mother and the baby. And it's very difficult for an individual woman to judge that in her individual circumstances, which is why we need more of a systemic change so that the options that are presented and the context for the experience maximizes the most effective care with the least harm to the two people involved. Yeah, and when you're in labor, I mean, I remember you getting can't. to the point, I didn't care if they would have taken him out of my ear. I Absolutely. just wanted to get out of there. Absolutely. You know? So I, I can't imagine trying to make that kind of decision right. at that moment. Which is why the issue of of, for example, informed consent, which is a really important part of medical Absolutely. care, is some, and which I think we both think is really important and we really want people to have it. When a woman's in labor, that's kind of not the time right. to have that chat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you sort of need to do mm-hmm. it beforehand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, Go a ahead, woman Peter. needs to know that she's low mm-hmm. risk or high risk and what her risk factors are and to discuss mm-hmm. those and with their care provider. Mm-hmm. And looking mm-hmm. at those different aspects and understanding her health through the yeah. pregnancy and what could potentially... Mm-hmm. increase her risk right. level. So right. when you talk about informed consent, uh, walk me through when you think that should happen and, and mm-hmm. what would be involved. 
Georgian? Well, I, I think it's great for people to have an ongoing dialogue with their doctor or their midwife. And hopefully they'll be taking childbirth education classes, mm-hmm. something that we like are, yes, we want everybody to take childbirth <laughs> right. education classes. Yes, and not just because we both provide that service, but because that's really the place where you can do your exploration and your thinking and, and so on. Um, so I'd like to see it as an ongoing dialogue throughout pregnancy as it's appropriate and part of the education process that she's engaged in. And then is there a time to sign off on certain things? I mean, is it that formal? Well, it, there is formal when you're in the hospital, yeah. for instance. But um, and, and it, it, informed consent actually even goes before, prior to the pregnancy whenever possible so that women are yeah. aware what's the healthiest they can mm-hmm. be to, before mm-hmm. they get pregnant. And mm-hmm. Folic acid, I can't be any place without talking about folic acid uh-huh. for women of, of childbearing age. At 15, everybody needs to be on it. Um, um, 400 micrograms if you want to know how much. And, <laughs> and, and your pens and paper. It, it, it prevents <laughs> neural tube defects and they're finding other health benefits from, from the folic acid. So for women to be well informed before they even plan a pregnancy uh, is the beginning of informed consent. All right. So you're saying every, every woman of 15 years old who mm-hmm. I mean is, is eligible for lack of a better word to become <laughs> – Pregnant should be on folic acid. That's yes. a safe word. Uh-huh. I'm glad you picked okay. that up. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was very diplomatic. Thank Bob. you. Well played. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. Well, I want to go back to the uh, yes. to the the public um, mm-hmm. presentation of information because yes. one of the things you, you yes. were kind enough to direct me to a lot of a lot of information. Yeah. And there was one study that that came out of uh, Wisconsin. It was in mm-hmm. a policy journal of of health. Um, that says um, the impact on quality improvement – the study was to evaluate the impact on quality Mm -hmm. improvement of reporting hospital performance publicly versus what Dana said, just privately Mm -hmm. sending the information back to the hospital. This particular study found that uh, making performance information public appears to stimulate quality improvement activities in areas where the performance is reported to be low. So it looks like there's at least some – documentation, some data mm-hmm. that says it would be better for the performance of everybody if we were able to publicly say, here's how this, this facility did versus this facility. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, how, how do you get to what, – what do you need to do to get to the place where that's a more common thing that's happening in healthcare? Right. Um, one of the things that um, the Coalition for Improving Maternity Services has done, or it's also known as KIMS, its acronym, is that they have put together what's called the birth survey. And this is a national effort to invite women who have given birth within the last three years, and obviously that'll each year it'll be in the last three years so that they can keep accumulating this data, that will actually provide information about hospitals patient satisfaction, and individual care providers. So they are looking for information about all licensed providers in a state and looking at hospital rates. So this is the consumer-driven end of it. So that is where they can um, – where women can enter it. It adjusts. It takes about 20 minutes. You can pause in the middle and nurse your baby or go, you know, make your toddler happy and then come back and finish it later. And it's um, – and then it takes about 20 minutes and the questions go depending on what you answer. Mm-hmm. So it, it's mm-hmm. specialized to – so if a woman had a cesarean, then it will sort of follow that path. Mm-hmm. If she did not, then it – you know, or if she had twins, then it will kind of adjust to what her experience was. Then it goes into this database that's specific for the state. And when you go to search then from the other end, you can put in Bloomington, Indiana and get back a response that says, here's Bloomington Hospital, here are the doctors or midwives in that area, and here is what the satisfaction rate is and what they're finding. Now, right now, they don't have specific intervention rates. Um, So like the use of, say, forceps or even cesarean rates are not in there yet. They're trying to work at the state level with um, consumers to approach the state departments of health to acquire that information. Mm-hmm. And you – but it's it, – what's nice about it is you'll see the individual information and then there's a national comparison. So you mm-hmm. have some idea kind the of how it compares. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, something to look at. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. And also the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, they do have questionnaires and they have quality data. And this – some of what they're referring to in this article at hospitalcompare.hhs.gov. And they do offer that data in many other medical conditions. They don't have any of that data for maternity care. Mm-hmm. Um, they do also have some for, for patient satisfaction, but it's specific to the hospital, not to the patient population. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm always puzzled. I know that there are some hospitals in Indiana now that are comparing their um, – uh, 
I don't know, I guess rates of recovery for uh, heart procedures sure. and that yes. sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And yes. so I guess I, I'm, I'm kind of a gloomy guest and I, I wonder um, at what point do they s- – well, first of all, I have a hard time trusting those numbers because sure. I don't really know that they're comparing apples to apples. I don't right. know the source of that data and I think it's mm-hmm. kind of a strange – actually kind of a strange thing to, to promote in a way, um, not knowing what they're pa- – Client base, for example, you know, if you're a hospital located in an area where there are higher risk patients, well, yeah, yeah I mean, you're sure. probably not going to have the the great outcomes that you're going to have in a in a different area. So, um, is there any way to? Well, you do have to look at those variables, and sometimes that's not obvious in in the reports they have. So you do have you can't just look at the report when you go to choose. Mm-hmm. You have to talk to friends. You have to talk to other people right. who had experiences there. You can look at the patient satisfaction data, but that's all measured by um, objective criteria. Mm-hmm. And so what you can compare is objective criteria. And so, yes, you do have to put other things into consideration because there are variables. If you're someplace that does high risk, um, they do. But if it's a, if it's a measurable item, like does a patient receive aspirin on admission to a hospital, that's very clear if, they have, if they're having chest pain. Mm-hmm. Right. That's very clear. VBAC rates, for instance, in cesarean section, that's very clear. Mm-hmm. Now, the high-risk population is not, but the actual number is. So mm-hmm. people do have to take a look at that. VBAC, vaginal birth after yes, cesarean. Thank you, thank yes. you very much. Mm-hmm. Vaginal birth after cesarean. Oh, yes. okay. Mm-hmm. Good. Yes. Okay. Well, uh, let's, can we do this email? Sure. sure. We had an email that came in, and this one is for – there's one for each of you. Oh. Um, for Dana, it says, to what extent do Bloomington Hospital's childbirth education classes – Inform women about the procedures and interventions they can refuse in their obstetrician's office as well as during and after labor. Well, every person has the right to refuse any intervention at any time, regardless of what, whether it's childbirth during the pregnancy. Um, so that, that right needs to be foremost for everyone. You have the right of refusal. And during our childbirth classes, the, um, I, they offer the information about those different procedures that are done in the office or in the hospital. But every woman has the right to refuse. Okay. Yeah. And Georgia, and this one's for you. It says, what are some of the things postpartum moms most often tell you they wish they'd known about uh, their health care provider or hospital prior to giving birth? That's a good question. That is a good question. Let me sort of flip through my mental files here, sort of. Um, I think that um, one of the things that's really surprising to women is that when the birth actually occurs, who is in the room and what the expectations are of everyone in the room. So some women, because they feel very attached to their doctor, um, is sometimes surprised that the doctor's not there during the labor more. So we try to tell people that they know that, you know, and sometimes people are surprised by that. Mm -hmm. It's also uh, sometimes surprising um, to them that they did not expect their care provider to um, insist on a certain position for birth, that perhaps they weren't expecting that. Maybe they'd been in a group practice or perhaps during the visits there had been sort of a positive about it and then when it actually happened, shall I say, when push came to shove, they actually got to the place where it's like, no, I really want you to do this. And sometimes I think in the moment, care doctors and midwives have difficulty explaining why they want someone to do something that maybe the woman would prefer not to. And sometimes they're just on an automatic pilot, as we all are often, and do not sort of immediately speak, you know, to the individual in front of them. So... Um, I would say that positioning for labor, for birth itself, mm-hmm. being surprised by that, by restrictions maybe that they weren't expecting to have, um, being surprised that um, that there would be procedures done to the baby that they weren't always expecting. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we try to be careful to explain that to people, mm-hmm. but you know, people don't always hear what you say, um, and they're focused on the birth. So sometimes the immediate postpartum mm-hmm. is kind of hard too. Um, I think also women wish that there was a way to give feedback to their doctor or their midwife mm-hmm. and that that is actually really difficulty. The, um, the way um, medical care providers and midwives too, I think often, there's not a feedback loop from the bottom up that you've seen this person every month mm-hmm. and then every week and then in this very intense moment and then really you don't see them again. 
Which is until yeah, six it's weeks. Very peculiar, actually. Yeah, yeah. I and, remember having that feeling like, whoa, yeah. oh, we were so it. close. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and I remember um, after uh, after yeah. giving birth, I was in, in as one would expect excruciating pain. Sure. And um, it was three o'clock in the morning, and I didn't know I could ask for pain reliever. Yeah. So you know, finally, when I just simply couldn't take it anymore, I timidly called up and said, "Can I have a Tylenol, please?" They're like, "Yeah, what do you want? You can have anything you want." I'm like, "Well, now you tell me." So, and I just I've yeah. thought about that so often, mm-hmm. and I I for anybody else who's going into the hospital, I would say, "Now listen, you can have <laughs> right. pain reliever." Yeah. And I wish somebody yeah. would have been there to tell me that. Yeah. So I think the kind of work that you do with people, especially focusing on the postpartum, mm-hmm. which is kind of the Probably least well attended time um, in the course, you know, of during yeah, a pregnancy, yeah. and, I, and I consider that still part of a pregnancy. Absolutely, uh, yeah. um, that I th- it's just very valuable mm-hmm. and important work that you're doing. Oh well, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to ask a question that um, follows from that. The, mm-hmm. the the question about who is in the room. I mean, you, yeah. you said, sure. yeah. I mean, who yeah. who is in the room? And you said that the um, the provider isn't always in the room. Or, well, they're there at the end. They're yeah. just not always there while you're ramping up to yeah. being yeah. ready to get yeah. uh-huh. Well, and I think Dana can probably ad- address this even more fully, but the sort of the issue of that, you know, the you'll have the nurse, you'll have whoever else you invited to be in the room, yeah. mm-hmm. and then there'll be another nurse who comes in. Mm-hmm. A second nurse yeah. who comes in for and, the delivery. And for, yes. yeah, baby nurse kind of. Yes, yeah. yes. baby nurse. Yes. Right, right. Yes. And then you may, though, I mean, the, a first-time mom is possibly going to spend a couple hours pushing. I mean, her doctor is <laughs> not going to. she's sp- lucky. <laughs> <laughs> now, Mary Catherine, no war stories, okay? <laughs> You know, um, and and you know, so yeah. her doctor is probably not going to be there for right. all of okay. that. May right. check in and out and so on. But I, mm-hmm. I mean, actually, one of the things that people really appreciate about Bloomington Hospital is that they they do allow people to have you know friends or family in to the degree that you know that they that want the patient it. wants. Yes, yes right. exactly. Absolutely. And that you all have actually worked really hard to try to respect privacy and to the safety feelings mm-hmm. of the woman in labor. And so I mean I think the hospital really tries hard to address all of that by going like to the mother baby nurse. Yes. Mm-hmm. About uh, five, six years ago, we, we changed our model of care on our postpartum unit. We used to have nurses who worked the nursery and took care of the baby, were nurses who took care of mom. And we changed it to one nurse takes care of three moms and their infants together to decrease. Then our, our primary motivator was to decrease the interruptions for moms because that's what I was going to say. What I hear yep. hear most mm-hmm. is how how tired they are afterwards. You yes. know, the first twelve hours they're just Absolutely. very excited. You know, the biggest event of their life has mm-hmm. has happened, mm-hmm. and then they go through a period where they're exhausted and they want to decrease visitors. They're personal visitors plus staff visitors. And so uh, and we continue to work on this issue. But uh, So we switched our model of care so that we could potentially decrease significantly the number of interruptions a mom has to promote that sleep, yes. which has a whole caveat of um, improves the attachment with the baby, de- you know, mm-hmm. good sleep decreases postpartum um, mood yep. disorders and depression because they're well-rested. There, mm-hmm. There's lots of good health reasons for that. Now, yeah. do you give them a little um, – now, and, and again, I went through this before this new model, but do yes. you give them any kind of um, have a discussion or present it in written form saying you can really limit visitors to zero if you want to? Right, yes. I mean, because I think yes. so many, so often people are so excited about the birth of a new baby and everybody's got to come see it or thinks they do. Oh. And <laughs> to the detriment of George, I am so, I, I mean, I have, I mean, I'm. I mean, honestly, sometimes I'm shocked at how many phone calls people get while they're in yeah. labor. I mean, we really encourage people, turn off your phone. Mm-hmm. I mean, we used to unplug the phone in the room, and now everybody has a cell phone that, you know, goes off yeah. and plays, you know, a symphony of things yeah. in the background. So, you know, yeah. and, and people thinking that it's okay to just drop by. It's actually not okay. <laughs> and that's what women don't know ahead of time. We talk yeah. about what women are surprised by yeah. afterwards ahead of time. They need to know to mm-hmm. have that conversation with their family mm-hmm. and their friends of whatever it is they want. Yeah. And so that but, you know, people if will it's your first that. time birth, you really don't know. You, don't you know. really don't. It's, good. You it's, truly see, it's don't one of those seemed like a good idea at the time yeah. situations. Oh, yeah. yeah, stop by, see the baby. When in fact, you're like, mm-hmm. oh, no, no, no. Yeah. Well, what no. you see on television is a nursery yeah. full of babies. Right. And so everybody's standing outside of a window and, and mom has beautiful white flowing gowns on and. 
That's not the way makeup it is. And, and makeup. And makeup. And I hate to tell you, Bob. Not so much. One of the things we just recently have started doing is we give each mom a, a laminated card. And one side says, visitors are welcome. Please knock on the door because we keep our doors closed to minimize the noise in the patient room. Please knock on the door. But we're welcoming visitors. Mom can turn it off around and it has a big stop sign. Said we're we're not taking visitors now, mm-hmm. and so pe- people come to the desk and they have an option to leave a note. And we'll if they have flowers or gift, we'll take it in later. Mm-hmm. There's a nice well mm-hmm. um, waiting area. They're welcome to go there. Mm-hmm. And if they leave a note, then we'll give it. To, we'll put it in the mom's door. We don't even interrupt to tell her that we didn't want to interrupt it. Right. And so we put the note. We can put the note on the door for the mom if, if the visitor wants to wait and just watch TV for a while until mom is taking visitors. Mm-hmm. I think you so need another to, sign that says "Bring a casserole in a week." Yes, yes, absolutely. Here's the sign up sheet. Yeah, that's right. Leave a casserole on the front door. At the door. Right. At the door, but don't right. come in the house. And that's the garbage right. is by the door where you take it out yeah. when you walk away. <laughs> yes, right. Uh, all right, we're going we're gonna to stop this conversation right here and take a break. Uh, I want to remind our listeners that we are talking about all sorts of issues that are involved in the area of maternity care uh, with Georgianne Catalona and with Dana Waters. And we will be right back. You're listening to Noon Edition. Thank you. You're listening to Noon Edition on member-supported WFIU. Production support comes from Closets 2, Smithville Telephone, information at smithville.net, and from Mother Bear's Pizza at motherbearspizza.com. You can take WFIU programs with you by downloading our podcasts. Podcasting is a convenient and easy way to download audio files directly to your computer, iPod, or portable player. You can download podcasts of full-length programs like Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, or short features like Kinsey Confidential, the Ether Game Musical Mini Quiz, as well as movie, play, and opera reviews. Find out more by going to our website, WFIU.org. And have you heard WFIU's news features? On Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, the WFIU news team brings you expanded and in-depth reports on topics affecting south-central Indiana. Listen at 8.33 a.m. and 5.45 p.m. every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to catch that day's feature. If you miss one, that's okay. They're archived on our website, WFIU.org, and the best features from each week can be heard Saturday mornings at 7.45. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael and our guest today who are talking about uh, maternity care, Bloomington Area Birth Services Executive Director George Ann Catalona and Bloomington Hospital Regional Center for Women and Children Executive Director Dana Waters. If you want to join us on the program, please phone 855-0811 or 877-285-9348 from outside of the Bloomington calling area, which of course takes in a whole lot of the Bloomington Hospital catchment mm-hmm. area. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can uh, find us on the web at wfiu.org slash noon edition or on Twitter at noon edition. Uh, here's an email that came in. Great question. Uh, it says, my daughter just had her first baby and I was surprised that her doctor had not asked her to provide any information on her mother's deliveries. Baby boomer mothers, as opposed to their mothers, were not sedated for delivery except for C-sections. Wouldn't a mother's delivery experience be of some value to the daughter and her doctor in discussing and planning for delivery options? Or do the statistics show that there is little correlation on delivery issues between mother and daughter? Well, in part of the history taking, most care providers do ask medical questions about the mother, Mm -hmm. mother's health, different medical problems, Mm -hmm. whether they had cesarean sections. Mm -hmm. Um, The mother's experience certainly would be something that would be um, a a good conversation between the care provider. Yeah. When I work with my labor support clients as a birth doula, I actually ask them what they know about their mother's births, um, what they know about their own birth, what they know about their sisters. They have any sisters who have given birth. Um, and part of it is for the cultural information. I want to know what 
is she carrying from her family about birth itself? What her expectations are? Um, is there uh, is are there story tale you know mm-hmm. tales of the in the family about oh we we so and so women we always do blank mm-hmm. you know I bet you hear that a lot I, yeah, yeah and but it's also surprising how few women have to had this conversation with their mothers from this perspective like they might know oh my mom had you know two vaginal births one C section and and lost a baby you know there may be that kind that sort of bare bones information but sort of the more like how long did she push and where did she you know what happened when she gave birth and all those kinds of things sometimes people don't know that and also how they feel about it mm-hmm. but truly you know it, a lot of people don't come from big families so if they've only had you know if she's an only child it's like well that's a sample of one birth that your mom had. (laughs) I mean, would that have been true for other births? We don't know, do we? Mm -hmm. And that's true, too, when a woman has already given birth to, you know, well, okay, your last birth went that way. Well, if you'd had 10 and they'd all gone that way, then we could say, okay, well, that's kind of what you do. Mm -hmm. But if it's not, then really we don't have Mm -hmm. a lot to go on. And also I'll kind of ask, well, are you shaped like your mom? Mm -hmm. You know, are you her height, a bone structure, weight, all that kind of stuff? Do you eat the same? I mean, are you, you know, because there's so many things that play into it. So I think it is a complicated question. I think mm-hmm. the medical history that gets taken is essential and then the rest of it is interesting fodder for conversation and speculation. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. certainly not predict – boy, don't we wish we could predict how it's going to go. We don't yeah. get to. Yeah. yeah. So. yeah. Here's another email that came in, another good question. It says, what role do pediatricians play in the birth experience? Well, for a low-risk birth experience, the pediatrician is there within to, to examine the baby after the delivery at the next, within 24 hours, usually mm-hmm. within 12, that the pediatrician comes in. Now, the, the role that we talked about earlier that you're, you're really ingrained with your care provider when you're pregnant kind of shifts over to the pediatrician mm-hmm. at that point. And that's what – when I taught Lamaze, I used to say that parents become kind of joined at the hips with their pediatrician and being able to communicate well with the pediatrician, ask questions, feel comfortable asking questions is important. So the, the pediatrician low-risk births, uh, they come to reassure and to talk with parents and examine the babies. Yeah. Now, I remember we spoke with our pediatrician long before the baby was born. Yes. Sure. You yes. can interview you your pediatrician. Yeah, we established establish that relationship. Yes. 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 And so then yes. – uh, when he came in the morning after delivery, already knew each other, yeah, yes. already, already had a plan on yes. uh, how we were going to approach things. Um, so it was actually very comforting yes. to see him come in. And then he, as in, in my experience, and maybe, I don't know, kind of this echoes what you said, he really helped me as a mother as much as he helped the child. Yes. yes. So that's good stuff. It is good yeah. stuff. Yeah. And that's what's so important is that you feel comfortable that he that your pediatrician, he or she, will help you to be a, a new parent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Comfort level. Now, Georgianne, last time you were here, um, yes. I don't know if I tried to act like I was you know, smart and knew what a doula was <laughs> at that time. Um, Doesn't but, everyone? Yeah. But, but, I, but I'm happy to say that in one of the, the stories that I used uh, mm-hmm. reading up on what we're going to talk about today, it's a USA Today story from October 2008, not too long ago, right. which says – Many women have never heard of doulas. Yes, this That's is what true. It says. Okay, this so is I, true. So if I tried to act smart, then I'm admitting now I had no idea what a doula was before I met you last time. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. So could you explain the role of a doula? Sure. There are two different types. There's birth doulas and there are postpartum doulas. And actually, there's a third type called a community-based doula. Um, but um, the I'll just quickly go through. Birth doulas provide educational and support services for women and their partner or chosen family member, whoever is going to be with them at the birth, uh, through the through the labor process. Uh, to some postpartum follow-up. A postpartum doula kind of picks up at that point, and she is uh, educational support services for the postpartum period, really for the first year after the baby's born, though most women will use a postpartum doula most intensively in the first, oh, probably two, three months. What kind of support services? So it's everything from with birth. It's about what are your options? Mm-hmm. Um, what do you want? What are you thinking about in terms of pain medication choices? How are you going to get yourself through this labor? What are you going to do? Who's going to take care of you after the birth happens? So we birth doulas help women and their families plan what's going to happen. And then the postpartum doula helps them execute that. Breastfeeding help, appropriate infant care education, 
um, holding the baby so that mom can take a shower, uh, coming in and listening to the birth story. Postpartum doulas have a very elastic mm-hmm. kind of job. They do a variety of things depending on the need of the family. Um, community-based doulas are when you go into a community, typically an underserved community, and you identify women who um, have the potential to be leaders, and you uh, invite them to apply to be uh, doulas, and they are trained to be what's really a combination of a birth doula, postpartum doula, and a community health worker. So you're actually employing women who are from those underserved populations and getting them to go back and work with their population. And this has been done in Chicago, mm-hmm. Indianapolis, all actually all over the, the country. Mm-hmm. Now, who pays the doula? Is any of this, are any of these services eligible um, to be paid by insurance? In the state of Indiana, so far as I know, there have not been any insurance providers uh, covering doula services, which is too bad because we mm-hmm. actually help lower intervention rates. We actually are cost savings. The Three hundred to six hundred dollars you might pay for your doula saves your insurance company boku bucks when it comes to the possibility of an epidural or a C-section or an induction and so on. It also increases the odds that the woman's going to breastfeed her baby um, mm-hmm. by making sure that she gets that crucial help in those really vulnerable periods in the beginning and kind of maximizes the odds that it'll all go well. Well, that saves a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, yes. Dana, from the hospital's perspective, mm-hmm. is is are you? Uh, welcoming of doulas being in the birth process? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We get together and um, talk. I like to meet the doulas that come in. Mm-hmm. We like to sh- kind of orient them, show them where things are so that they can be part of the team. Mm-hmm. Good. All right. All right. Here's a couple of emails that have come in. And uh, Dana, I think this first one you'll want to address. And I'm going to let you take it one piece at a time because okay. there are several portions. Okay. Um, it says, what is Bloomington Hospital's C-section rate? The primary cesarean section rate, which most people, that's when they call me looking for the rates, um, they will call and they, what they want to know is if I've never had a C-section before, if it's my first baby or my third baby and I've never had a C-section, what is your rate? And um, in 2008, our rate was 14.7%. Our repeat cesarean section rate, that those are moms who um, have already had a cesarean section. It is in the 72 percentile. Okay. Right? So if you've had a C-section before... 72%. Most likely, yeah. you will have, have a repeat cesarean section. Okay. This question also asks, what is your VBAC rate, your Our vaginal VBAC birth rate. after cesarean? Um, the, the, cesarean, the VBAC rate, you take the number of patients who came in and who wanted to have a vaginal birth after cesarean. And our VBAC rate was successfully 42% of those women who, that's what they chose, delivered vaginally. Okay. Uh, it continues, how do these rates compare to other similar hospitals in Indiana? We don't have comparable data. And that's, that okay. is the, that's what moms want. Uh-huh. Okay, so, so that, I think that's, that's, that's part of what back. we're talking yeah, about. Right. That goes back <laughs> right. to why we're here, I guess. So, yes. and then this goes, so this it continues. It says, are there examples of U.S. hospitals that routinely publish overall intervention yeah. rates and individual rates? That's true. Yes. Yeah. And that's, that's the link that Georgiana talked about before, that different states who require it, you can look side by side mm-hmm. the, okay. the different hospital and the rates. Well, and actually, if you'll go to um, the birthsurvey.com, there are some states, California, Texas, and a few others. Others. Florida. Yeah, Florida, where they have actually published their bigger, the sort of the state statistics and intervention rates and so on. So that actually for those states, it is available. Indiana, not yet. We hope it will be. Yeah. This uh, story I referred to earlier in, mm-hmm. in uh, USA Today actually said that in 2006, more than 31 percent of U.S. births were by cesarean section. Mm-hmm. So uh, Quite high. But is that um, – that 14 percent that you were mentioning before – I mean, can you? Can, Our overall is twenty-seven percent. Okay. So, all right. So we're we're below the national averages. Uh-huh. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, here's another question that came in. It says, "How do women's birth experiences differ when they have a doula versus when they don't? How does the presence of a doula affect a woman's access to information about their birthing options?" Sounds like you sort of answered that. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I guess one of the first of all, I want to say Bloomington Hospital really has always been welcoming to us, and that is. I think really important in enhancing our relationship with our clients because when I go into the hospital as a doula, I walk in with a client, I'm not worried that we are going to get a nurse who's going to resist 
or resent my presence. In fact, I tell people it's really important that your doula walk in with you because the staff needs to know that you're going to have someone with you who's not your partner, who's not a family member, so that they can make sure they give you a nurse who's okay with that Mm -hmm. so that everybody's happy. We want everybody Mm -hmm. to work at their best. And so the – and of course, I only know what happens when I'm there. Um, and sort of, you know, what gets reported to me about not being there. But I think the big difference is that the staff tends to um, stop and talk to the mom before she does, before they do things. Mm -hmm. And I think that alone changes the experience. I think the staff assumes that if you've got a doula, you want an unmedicated low-intervention birth, whether that's true or not, because we definitely Mm -hmm. work with women who are planning to use epidurals. We definitely work with women who are okay with every intervention in the book or because of circumstances are going to have those and they didn't have any control. But the nurse's attitude and her belief that, oh, yeah, sure, you can do this. That changes everything. And this is kind of a follow-up to that, this email. It says, um, are the nurses at Bloomington Hospital used to helping women through the natural drug-free process of labor, or are they more familiar with helping women labor who are using medications and pain relief? If a woman wants to be coached through a natural labor and delivery, can she count on those nurses to do, what, to do that, or does she need to hire a doula? Well, there'll be varying. The nurse's um, experiences may be different depending how much experience that she has, how many how many years she's been in labor and delivery. So there can be varying experiences with nurse. So I can't say there's one cookie cutter answer for each nurse within the department. Um, certainly, the majority of our patients who deliver vaginally choose to have an epidural. So a nurse's mo- the most of her experience is going to be with patients who have chosen an epidural. Um, many patients use um, natural childbirth and breathing techniques through the early part of their labor and then, then change their mind with what they want. <laughs> so they do have exp- – they certainly are oriented to it. They certainly have some patients who have um, choose a natural birth. But the added layer of having a, a doula there is a person who has even more experience and more, more background. Well – I think actually, especially the newer nurses, they've never seen anybody give birth without an epidural. When I go to talk to nursing classes about doulas and what they do and I ask, so how many of you have seen a birth? And not all of them get to when Mm -hmm. they do their clinical rotations. Um, But those that do have seldom seen an unmedicated birth. And sometimes they've never seen a vaginal birth. So Mm -hmm. that what, you know, kind of the – it's, you know – it's part of it goes back to the culture and part of it goes back to the institution and part of it is the individual variation. And I actually find the older the nurse, the more likely she is comfortable with it because she's lived through more changes in sort of trends and right. mm-hmm. things and she's probably more comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. I think what's challenging is that if, if a nurse has not seen – so for example, let me back up a second. I show a video um, in childbirth classes and also when I go to nursing classes. It's called the three R's. It's uh, rhythm, ritual, and relaxation. It's made by Penny Simpkin. It's not retching, writhing. And- no, 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 Bad girl, bad girl. Down there, um, and it's But it's, you know, uh, but it's, it's actually um, uh, showing uh, women having contractions as it progresses through labor with, um, without medication and doing different positions and um, what, when I show it to nursing students who are brand new at the game, they look at it and they don't realize those are women who are coping well. The women who are making some noise and who are moving and changing position and breathing, they're coping well. And it's part of it is they just don't have in their heads what is it like to have a baby mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and what do you need to do to get through it. And their own discomfort with that sometimes translates into, can't I get you something for that? And they're trying to help. Mm -hmm. It's not that they're trying to make a problem. They're trying to help. So the doula being there interrupts that. Mm -hmm. And what what then the nurse can do then is go to the doula instead of the mom. Say, do you think she wants something for that? Mm -hmm. What were her plans about pain medication? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I'm worried. Or the nurse says, I'm worried about her. Is she doing okay? And then there can be that dialogue and the mom can get the appropriate support. Because, man, it's hard if you're in the middle of a contraction and somebody walks up to you and says, you want something? <laughs> Who's not going to say, yeah, <laughs> hello? Georgine, to become a doula, and, and I don't know how much of this you guys covered on the show you did together when I wasn't here, but to become a doula, how many birth processes or how many births do you get to participate in? Because I would think you'd really 
really kind of need to get your brain and your emotions wrapped mm-hmm. around mm-hmm. the kind of, for lack of a better word, agony that you go through sure. at some point mm-hmm. during the natural birth process. Yeah. Well, okay. I didn't really think we were talking about this, but let me just say. Let's just back up a second here. So I think um, part of it is culturally we tend to think we equate the pain of childbirth with medical pain. Something's wrong, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that I tell people it's more like athletic pain. When you're watching somebody running a marathon, and I'll be the last person to ever run a marathon, believe me, um, they, you know, you look at them and you feel admiration, maybe like, well, I wouldn't do that. But you feel like, wow, look at what they're doing. That's kind of the attitude you need to have when you're with someone in labor. She's just working really hard to do something. And what the doula, really her job ultimately is to just be with the woman. You actually don't need a lot of training for that. Mm-hmm. What you do need is some knowledge about the birth process, about what constitutes normal. We consider ourselves to be the guardians of normal. Mm-hmm. So that's what you do. So when you, you take a workshop, it's an intensive, and I've done six-week-long ones as well to kind of spread it out. Then um, they need to attend three births, getting evaluations from those. Now, it'll actually take – and that, those evaluations need to be from a physician or midwife, from a nurse. If it's also from a physician, then it has to be a physician and a nurse. Just a midwife is okay. And then from one of the parents, preferably the mom, mm-hmm. from three births. And she has to write up a bunch of stuff and do some essays and whatnot. But so basically those three births, it usually takes women – two years to get those births done. And usually she'll probably go to anywhere from five to eight births to really get the paperwork done. Mm -hmm. And your first 10 births, you learn a ton. I can imagine. Yeah, you learn a ton. Okay. All right. I just wanted to mention we have uh, about less than 10 minutes to go. So if you have phone calls that you want to make to us to talk to our two guests today, it's 877-285-9348. Uh, that's the outside of Bloomington number or eight five five zero eight one one inside of Bloomington. And we have a bunch of email, but you can still send us more at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. Um, here's one that came in. It says, just an awful thought in question. What kind of preparation and, God forbid, follow through is provided for the possibility of things going really, really wrong? The happy story is an easy one to tell, but what about the other possibility? And I assume they're talking about perinatal bereavement the loss of a child. And at Bloomington Hospital, we have many nurses, probably about 10, who have had additional training in caring for parents who have lost a child. We have one nurse who her, her sole job is to come in, talk with parents, help them make choices. And, and what's good in the OB is really, really good. And what's bad is very sad. And so at Bloomington Hospital, we have strived that 100% of our patients are able to be counseled with situations like that. And I'd like to add that um, at our office at Bloomington Area Birth Services, I run a VBAC C-section support group, and I have women who come in to talk about their experiences that they may or may not describe as traumatic, but they want to be in a context where they can talk to someone who didn't have a vaginal birth. So they can talk about recovery and what the experience is like. I'd also like to add that there is a um, website called Solace for Mothers. It's S-O-L-A-C-E for Mothers.org, I believe. If you just Google Googled that phrase, though, I'm sure it would come up. That is a place for women to get uh, support for traumatic birth experiences. And I will say the Listening to Mothers survey, I believe, found about a third of women describe their birth experiences as traumatic. Mm-hmm. Wow. All right. We've got – we've run through all those uh, emails. So if people want to email us or call us, that's, that would be great. We've got – I've got lots of questions I can ask in the last yeah. few okay. minutes of the program. Right. We've, we've been talking about uh, reporting and – trying to be able to have, have uh, comparisons that women can mm-hmm. make and, and make informed decisions. So what are the, some of the benchmarks that, that if, a, if a woman is going to be a mother for the first time, you know, what are some of the key things, key questions she should be asking, the key information she should be seeking to try to help her decide where to go? What, what, what benchmarks would we be keeping? Well, it starts with how early can a woman get into prenatal care? Mm-hmm. And looking how soon she, they, in that community you can get a visit, all the way through the cesarean section rates, the epidural rates, the lactation rates. And I would like to see it published that um, women who choose to breastfeed when they come to the hospital, that a lactation consultant who is a registered nurse who has additional training and certification, that they have that opportunity to speak to a specialist in breastfeeding. And from hospital to hospital, I think that's something that, that moms could compare the additional specialties that they have for consultation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the first thing that a woman should consider doing is just stopping for a minute and reflecting on the fact that her birth experience matters. Mm-hmm. 
and that it really makes a difference in terms of the trajectory that she's going to be on that starts in her pregnancy and goes mm-hmm. through really the first year postpartum. And That's that, an excellent point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's because, you know, you're, you're become, it's the start of a family and changes in a family and that how you're treated in that birth experience, what happens to the woman, she's making parenting decisions all the way through. And mm-hmm. if we undermine her confidence or her ability in, to do what she thinks is right, then we're undermining her ability as a parent. And I don't think that's good for our community at large, let alone for that particular family. So I think just women wrapping their minds around that so that it's not just a question of, oh, well, who does my insurance cover? Um, you know, um, all my friends went to this doctor then, you know, but to really think about what does that particular woman need and expect and want. And I always ask women right away, where do you see yourself giving birth? What kind of birth experience do you want? Now let's talk about right. what kind of care provider would be, be would be more likely to give you that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Okay. We have a couple of phone calls, so we're going to try to slide okay. in very quickly. Uh, Anne is first. Hi. Um, I just wanted to make a comment on something that Georgianne had said earlier that I, I personally take a little negative. Um, I believe that the nurses on labor and delivery actually are very experienced with helping moms have unmedicated births. And in fact, in all my experiences, I found that their main goal is whatever that patient's goal is. And they do everything they can to help them reach that goal in a healthy and safe way. And I think to put out there that you know, without the doula there, that won't happen is is very misleading and unfortunate. And I think comments like that kind of hinder the possibility of people being open-minded on both ends. And I will just um, hang up and listen to her comments. Okay. Thank you. Thanks a lot for the call. Very quick comment? Yes. Point well taken. Okay. I'm just basing it on what I hear too. So uh, good. Uh, all right. Yeah. And our next caller mm-hmm. is Lisa. Lisa? Yes. Um, I was just wondering, I used to be a doula in Indianapolis, and I moved out down south here, and I was wondering, how do I get started doing that here? Okay, uh, Georgian. Probably Who the easiest... I get a hold of? Or? Probably the easiest thing is to contact our office. It's uh, 337-8121, 812-area-code, and we can help you get started. We have a birth discussion group and lots of doulas in town to hook you up with. All right. Okay, and it was 337-8121... Okay, 812 is the area code, 337-8121. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Thanks a lot, Lisa. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you have a comment or a question? I have a very fast question. Okay. It says, what is the Bloomington Hospital policy about the choice of natural birth? We have about 15 seconds. (laughs) It's mom's choice. Okay. All right. That's all we need Didn't think we could do it, did you? I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Very good job. It's been a a great program. I appreciate uh, our guests today, Georgianne and and Dana. Thanks a lot for being here with us today. For Mary Catherine, our producer, Ariana Prothero, and engineer, Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Closets 2, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home, office, and garage using a variety of systems with no major renovations. Closets 2, owned and operated in Bloomington, 332-2233. Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Mother Bear's Pizza of Bloomington, open daily and offering pizzas, pasta dinners, and wings with daily specials. Menu available online at motherbearspizza.com, 332-4495 for delivery.